At this point, I'll also introduce once again my co-pastor, Kyle Hanawalt, as we turn toward today's discussion. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? Yeah, I, I would. Um, if you haven't watched uh, Watchmen yet on HBO from last year, that was probably the best thing I've watched in the last uh, year or two. So that's worth it. Very good. Very good. All right. Uh, well, we are continuing our series of discussions that we've been in, God of the Oppressed, this phrase that we have borrowed from uh, James Cone, uh, the writer on Black Liberation Theology, who we talked a good deal about last week. Uh, we are immersing ourselves in various different oppressed, oppressed people group perspectives on Jesus and faith and on the Bible. And the idea here is that in America, what colors most of our understandings of Jesus and God is a powerful perspective, people who are in the dominant culture. And that has serious limitations. Um, we've talked about, for one thing, Jesus was not a dominant culture person. He was a minority within an empire. And so if we're talking about Jesus, we've kind of got to go from the other direction to really understand what Jesus was about, the, the, the non-powerful position, not the powerful position. And then because uh, when any of us are facing the hardest things of life, just functionally, when we're, when we're facing suffering, when we are facing loss or challenge, it is not the most powerful people we turn to for help. We turn to people who have done suffering before, who have done challenge before. And usually power just protects you from those things. So really what we need in any of us is a God who sees that, who knows what it's like to endure and overcome pain and suffering. And, and that is the story of Jesus. Jesus is the God who does not, is not distant and, 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 uh, and removed from suffering, but who walked right into suffering and shared in humanity's story. And so uh, it is oppressed people groups much more than people in power who can teach us about such a God. We are thrilled today for uh, today's edition of this series uh, to be joined by BLC's own Maria Santian, and she's going to help us uh, to understand a church outsider perspective on Jesus. Hi, Maria. Hello. Glad you're with us. Thank you. We're so thrilled. Uh, so Maria is as uh, loyal and generous a person and a friend as I've ever known. Uh, she is a valuable member of BLC's financial board, uh, and as our topic today suggests, she is a church outsider who nonetheless finds herself involved in this church pretty heavily. So Maria will be sharing about something that is close to my heart. Um, I wanted to say before we jump in, because this is so close to my heart, the seeds of this church uh, are, were really to be a spiritual space for people who feel more comfortable in progressive settings rather than religious settings. And these were first planted in me over a decade ago. Um, and this church first began when Kyle and I started a dinner group in 2012. Uh, but I remember having an epiphany uh, several years later, and uh, about what we were about, about the seeds that this church uh, started with. And the epiphany was after Michael Brown and Eric Garner were killed in the riots, uh, and then shortly after, I should say, the riots in Ferguson. And during that time, when I first learned about the concepts of uh, white privilege and white fragility and why it's so important to fight for equity uh, and address the, the societal structures that limit access to resources for some but not others. I just, I, I, was, I was feeling so humbled and my mind was really being expanded to uh, when, it, when it came to my outlook on race. But the other thing that it did for me was that it brought me back to this conviction that our church started on. It helped me to understand that I think our church from the beginning has been talking about privilege and equity this entire time. And what we were talking about was religious privilege and equity in spiritual spaces. And now I had a new understanding to kind of like see, ah, 
this is what we've been discussing. Because in the same way that white people can feel fatigued or fragile or defensive in conversations about race, our church has often felt tiring and triggering and too radical to longtime churchgoers. Because we centralize the experience of church outsiders here, not church insiders. That's really interesting. You know, this, this has brought us challenges, honestly, as a church. People have left our church for this reason. But it has also been by design because we were founded on a kind of equity work. We did not start this church to reward or reinforce religious privilege. We started this church to elevate the prospects spiritually, the possibilities spiritually for people who don't have religious privilege. And in America, if you're not a church insider, if your family or culture doesn't predispose you to be able to navigate American churches, you are at a disadvantage in terms of growing spiritually. You're at a disadvantage in terms of finding community. And this is an increasing number of us. Like the, the fastest, this has been true for two decades, the fastest growing religious identification in America. Do you know what it is? It's none. N-O-N-E. <laughs> That's the fastest growing religious identification in America for two decades. Church outsiders can sometimes get lucky and find footing in, in, a, in a certain church and, you know, something that they didn't grow up in and against the odds, they grow spiritually. That is largely my story personally. But the fact is, is that it comes down to luck far more than anything else. And it shouldn't come down to luck. The, the fact that it comes down to luck shows that there are structural problems with the way churches do things. People are left out systematically. Outsiders to American church culture long for community. They long for community just like everybody else. They just don't want to be condescended to to get that or forced to convert their cultures. So I'm on my soapbox here because I'm excited. This is what Maria is going to be bringing us into is like, the reason I wanted to start this church, the first seed that has flowered into lots more other things. But we started this church on equity work, equity in spiritual spaces, and that has only grown. And certainly this series that we've been digging into this summer has only shown us how that has grown so much more. So Maria is a, she has a story that is really important to us because she is one of these people. She's a representative of the first equity battle our church ever set out to fight. So Maria, now that I've, I've set up everything. You're just, you're, this is everything. <laughs> and now you have to, you have, you have to uh, follow up on that. Sorry about that. I just, I got really excited, but I'm excited for good reason because I know you'll follow through. I wanted, I wanted to ask just our first question to you as we dive in is like, what sort of specific things are we talking about when we talk about church outsiders being marginalized in spiritual spaces or being oppressed in spiritual spaces? What do we mean there? Yeah, thank you for the intro. I was going to say, oh, thanks for coming to my TED Talk and just end it, end it there. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, it, it comes down to what you know, I'm processing as microaggressions that, you know, at the time, you don't you know, pick up on those things that, you know, in the moment, or I certainly don't. Uh, I take a while to process things. And uh, one example is, you know, people in my life that have assumed um, religious facts or uh, knowledge lingo that are expected to be common knowledge. Um, but if you aren't in the know, uh, then you are ex you know, excluded, you, you feel left out. So one story uh, is when I was in high school, I was asking a question of someone and the way that th that person responded was supposed to be in this like rhetorical, obviously yes question. And they said, well, is the Pope Catholic? And 
I looked at them with this kind of glazed look. I said, is that a no, yes, no, yes. I didn't know. Uh, because that knowing if the Pope was Catholic was not something critical to my relationship with God at that moment. It didn't. Uh, so uh, things, things like that that come up and it's assumed, you know, you know, who the, who the Pope is and the affiliation uh, or, you know, who the Cardinals are, the Archdiocese. It's assumed that, you know, if you're in America or Western culture that you would know that. Um, but I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't have that. And we, uh, we talked about this, coining this term of home church, because uh, people are talking about homeschooling. Um, so it, it seemed to fit with me. It's like, I, I think I was home churched. I took uh, my parents and my grandma, they took the best things out of what they learned in uh, religion in their upbringing and shared that and passed that down to me and my siblings. Things like, you know, loving each other and uh, loving others, uh, tradition of, you know, celebrating Christ uh, Christmas and Easter as a family, family meals, um, and, you know, having Jesus in your heart. Um, and that kind of perpetuated this home church thing is that it was okay that I wasn't going to church because Jesus was in my heart. I was carrying, I was carrying that. Yeah, I love that you uh, brought us to the term uh, microaggressions. I think that that's a really important one. That's when, as we prepped, we, we realized is, is super useful. These kind of small things that you, you don't really realize in the moment, they're so subtle. They are not overt examples. And we often talk about them in terms of racism and how that uh, props up systemic racism in our society. And, uh, and this is a way that it happens in, in spiritual spaces, that it, it uh, sort of the, the cultural expectations or the inside jokes, right? The Christian inside jokes, the, the references to the Bible or to a Christian telling of history. And they come out all the time. They come out in just like random conversations with churchgoers. They come out, they come out from the pulpits, right? When people are preaching, they come out in public messages that churches release like online. And I, I think what's really important here is to, is before we kind of dive into some of the perspective that, that Maria will bring to us here, is that we're not talking about the difference between being a person of faith or a skeptic, or between being a believer or an agnostic. We're talking about whether or not the family and culture you grew up in predisposes you to understand or be able to navigate American church settings. So this, this is religious privilege. You can be a skeptic or an agnostic and have a ton of religious privilege, right? Because your family, like, you grew up in it or something like that. And you can be a believer and have very little religious privilege. So we're, we're talking about how, how conversations in, in church settings revolve around the insiders, uh, partly because... I mean, it's sad to say, but like, that's where the money is, right? Like, like the, the, the church world has its own music industry, its own publishing industry, its own self-help industry, entertainment industry, right? Like, I mean, there, there are very few churches that organize their conversation around what outsiders need. And so that's what we're, that's what we're doing here as we hear from uh, Maria. So uh, we're going to put up uh, a few perspectives that, uh, that we've prepared for today, and uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of throw them out there and, and see where Maria takes us, and Kyle and I will, will jump in and ask questions and, kinda, and, uh, and look for clarity as we understand Jesus from a church outsider perspective. So let me get our, our uh, stuff up on the screen here. And then Maria, if you would take us through our first point here, uh, as you brought up home church, I like how you, you gave us that phrase. When you grow up home church, you see God really is most revealed in Christmas, which 
is the time we mark the incarnation. God is close to humanity, not far away. And Easter, resurrection after death, overcoming, renewal after loss, that kind of thing. God really is most revealed in Christmas and Easter. And you see that when you grow up home church. Maria, tell us more. Yeah, um, those were the two big um, holidays that we celebrated at home. And it was you know, centered around family. About We came together as family to, to eat or to celebrate those. Um, and both of those have, you know, emotion for our family is, you know, these, you know, we're, we're together even, well, we haven't talked about this year, but uh, in the last, you know, even growing up and we, you know, each moved out that it's, it's still coming together on these, uh, on these particular holidays. Um, and the, I think, perspective of how, or what was passed on to us was valuing the family unit. Um, valuing you know respect and love for others um and those these particular ones also were valued by my mom's mom my grandma uh, passed you know down uh, eventually to us um so yeah it's it was this unit of well okay we, we weren't going to church you know my mom didn't didn't see a church that resonated with her and she didn't want to subject us to something that didn't resonate with her um so we, you know, we had smaller traditions of these holidays or saying the Our Father prayer before bed every night, um, uh, you know, fostering those positive relationships with God. Um, and the church that she did like is the one that my grandma went to and, and is on the south side in Bridgeport uh, and I have respect for now is that it's hard to get three young kids up and ready and dressed and travel across the city to go to church and, uh, you know, to one that was uh, valued. So it, uh, uh, so we had to do it at home. We had, so I, I praise, I praise my parents for doing that because uh, it set a good foundation. Well, at the time I felt like I was uh, being uh, excluded, like from school, you know, a lot of my peers were going to the same Sunday school. Um, and, you know, I felt left out of that. I felt left out of the, the community piece, but in, in looking back, I don't feel like I le at all left, was left out of the relationship with God. So I find that to still be very powerful and set me up for where I am today. I think that I think what's interesting about this is I think within as somebody who grew up, it kind of in a strange space because I grew up very much immersed as a son of a pastor, a third generation, you know, pastor's family, that like I understood how to navigate kind of church culture, like the things people want to hear, um, all of those things. Um, while simultaneously the rest of my life existing in a place like Evanston, Illinois, which was very distinctly in the kind of more progressive, multi-perspective, celebrating um, kind of non-church climate. Um, and there was a lot of, I think, interesting experience of judgment of people that only show up for Christmas and Easter. Like they're, they don't take it seriously. Like there's a, a real, a real judgment of kind of how, how, how false that experience of faith is. And there's a lot of conversation, which you think about how culture creating it is a lot of conversation about being a real Christian. Uh, it's like this, this, this emphasis on real Christian, those people that really do it seriously. You think about how, how culture shaping that is. You think about the way that that communicates 
indicates uh, constant anxiety within people that are there, but also a constant uh, sense of uh, kind of you don't fully belong here to people that aren't already enculturated into your experience. But on the other side of it, like, Chris, there's a reason Christmas and Easter are the two biggest things that are on the, the <laughs> right. church calendar. It's because it's kind of like those are, we're marking the God of the universe coming into humanity to be with us. And that God of the universe through the act of his death and resurrection, uh, bringing us in even more into his presence and offering us all of the things in life that we are looking to a God to offer us. And it makes total sense that if we are not feeling uh warm and welcomed into the weekly experience of a church, the enculturated experience of the church, that there's actually the, these, there's still the note of these celebrations that I think at their heart really do tap into who Jesus is and why I think Maria, you talked about this idea that you felt a barrier to connect to church, but you didn't feel that barrier connecting to Jesus. And I think that there is a sense of you found those traditions at home that tapped into the heart and character of who Jesus is, which not shockingly in the two biggest holidays celebrate who God is in the incarnation and resurrection. Yeah, I was going to say, Maria, that um, in, in our preparation um, for this week, I remember uh, feeling something similar that you just said, Kyle. I'm so glad you said it, where there's like this pressure often in, uh, in American church settings, like you need to know the obscure things of, uh, of, of faith. Uh, to know the obscure things of the Bible is like the, wow, like you must really be ser- serious, right? Like that's the, that's the word. And, um, and you can wear those like a badge of honor. But it just struck me as, um, I think one of the things that I've always noticed from you, Maria, just as a person, is those two, those two things that we're marking with Christmas and Easter, that, that uh, renewal can come after loss, you know, that you can overcome, that you can uh, be resilient in, in the Easter story. And then that like being close and empathizing and like God does that with us and, and we can do that with others. It's like, those are two things that you've just always exuded, Maria. And I just feel like that's a, that you have a way, like, it's shocking to think, I think it's shocking to say in a church setting that what if Maria as a home church person has a better foundation for connecting with Jesus than somebody who went to church their entire life? Well, it's when you're in church that there's, it's funny, I laugh, I was laughing to myself of like, uh, the obscure references. I, I can remember being young and in a church and somebody mentioned something and they're like, oh, the parable of the sower. And there's a sense of like, oh yeah, I know this one. Okay. You know, like there's a sense of, oh, oh, I got this one. Oh, it's Genesis four. Oh, okay. That's, that's where we get into, you know, and it's like, there's almost like, almost even like seeing people like turn, oh, he's about to talk about this thing, you know, and there's like a, a real, almost a sense of, I'm not, I kind of remove myself from engaging with what's about to happen in some ways because I'm like, oh, I get this one. It's almost like this, uh, uh, I want to be in the know opposed to uh, really leaning into, it's not, it's not about like being in the know and being able to like quickly be like, oh, parable the sower, I know that point, but it's about engaging with this living God. And I think that's why the, 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 what we see in Christmas and Easter, I think is about the living God. It's not about the information collection. It's not about being able to say our tenets of faith. It's about God come to man and God come to us, drawing us into relationship with him profoundly through the act of resurrection. I think so. It makes total sense to me how, you know, it's to be human is to want to feel like on the inside in the know. And it makes sense that in, in this kind of experience of church that it would be no different. Yeah. 
Yeah, that tugs that tugs at my heartstrings because as a <laughs> to my core, I love pointing out obscure things out of TV and movies and stuff like that. That's <laughs> I, I live for that. Uh, I live for that obscure things within obscure references. It's like, I love that. It's like, so this was one area where I couldn't do it. I couldn't fit into whatever box that they were talking about. And uh, uh, that's what I, you, you, you strive for, but yeah, no, I, I love obscure references. I get it. <laughs> I get what that feels like, but uh, couldn't get it out of here. Yeah. What a fine lesson that that's just such a human experience, right? Like we all long to be the person who can make the obscure references in an inside group, but how, how difficult the challenges become when that happens in a church setting and how, how, you know, initially maybe uh, if, if we could find a space, like if Maria can find a space where, where that's not, uh, she's not systemically kind of pushed away or made to feel secondary or second class as a result of that. I mean, when you don't have that, that instinct with the religious uh, muscle, I mean, your, your faith can just grow so much more and, 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 and avoid so many pitfalls. So really a, a lesson for us as we think about kind of, Building, building spaces for our children even. All right, well, let's go to our second point, Maria. And I wanna hear uh, more about this. It says, when you don't grow up in the American Christian subculture, you see, of course, Jesus is about inclusion and justice. Maria, tell us more. Yeah, um, somewhat in talking about the, the in and out and the obscure references uh, leading into that, um, most, in just about every phase of my life so far, I've had periods where, you know, I don't fit in, um, where it's school or it's ethnicity, you know, it's uh, some portion of it, there's me battling, uh, trying to fit in and not meeting expectations of either others or society. Um, and with religion, it's, um, I knew I had a relationship with Jesus. I knew I had a relationship with God. Um, and it, became less about finding a church and more about finding a place that will accept me as me, the way God accepts me and my, um, and my relationship that, that it's, it's okay that I don't meet those rules. Uh, you know, as a box checker at heart, I've always wanted to say, okay, well, it's easier to say, Oh, am I Catholic? Well, no. It's like, well, am I Christian? Well, no, it's, it's a vulnerable place for me to be in uh, to explain my faith because I was baptized Catholic, um, uh, but we weren't necessarily practicing. And I kind of want to say Christian, but there's a lot of negative connotations associated with Christianity. So if I do say that, I have to say, oh, wait, wait, but not like that. I have to explain it a little bit. And uh, you know, it wasn't until later where you know, Sergio introduced me to Brownline that I was like, oh, this, is, this feels more like where I can see you know, my grandma sitting there you know, clapping along to worship songs. It's like I can feel us there. Uh, and that I didn't have to really check the box. And it also gave me a better elevator speech for how to explain my faith to people, but that's still a vulnerable space. But yeah, it's, 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 it becomes more obvious that I'm okay with, with the relationship with, that, I, that I have with Jesus because I know he accepts me for me. And it was trying to find a space where I could still experience that um, in you know, a church or community setting. You know, I think it's interesting, you know, there's the study that Pew did, what was it, five years ago now, and asked uh, people, like, what are the top things you associate with Christianity, particularly from a 
uh, people who do not affiliate themselves as Christian. And the top one was like anti-gay, judgmental, shame it's it's this list of things that uh what the perspective of what how christianity is experienced in our culture particularly as we see the rise of the kind of uh focus on the family experience in the during the 60s moved into the most like brought together with the rise of religious religious right that got a lot of influence and power under george w bush's presidency you see the way that this idea of inclusion and justice being at the heart of Jesus. Like there's, it is just, that's not what has created a thriving American church. What has allowed the, the kind of the stronghold of church influence to exist has not been known for standing on inclusion and justice. It has been standing on not losing our way of life. It's been founded on, you know, standing up for the family and holding up like the, the world trying to take something from us. And that, I think that that's a really, and, you know, to empathize with people that grew up from that place, to them, uh, that perspective is a matter of justice. It's not like uh, they're, you know, when you think about, like, if you feel like the world's going a, a way that you're worried about, trying to hold on to it, it's like, oh, I'm worried about where that's going to go. I think trying to be generous to to people that hold that perspective. But if we're thinking about this conversation in particular, and we're thinking about people that didn't grow up with an experience of understanding that culture and understanding that worldview and understanding the ways the churches exist. Think about the impression of, of what is being communicated to you when you go into churches and when those are the things that are most associated with it and the conversations around uh, uh, it, when you walk into church, if that's what's coming off at you, it feels like, I don't understand how we talk about who Jesus is as loving your enemy and doing all that versus what I actually see and hear. And it becomes like, a, a like I don't know why, why would I want more of that? I don't want more of that. That doesn't seem interesting to me. That's not speaking to my values, even though I think Jesus would absolutely be calling forward into like a deeper sense of humanity and care for each other. It's just the barrier of culture and especially in our country, the barrier of politics over, over on top of culture and not just general culture, but culture of people in power and influence standing there and how that is just a massive turnoff and a massive barrier for people that don't already exist with that privilege. I would have have considered myself as a nun, as a, you know, I would just say, I'm spiritual because then that cuts off a lot of that conversation and that question. And, you know, again, like I said, it's a vulnerable space to kind of explain you know, my faith is very, you know, it's personal for me. And uh, I guess we'll get into that in the next point. It was like, but it's, you know, it's not something I, I share generally. And, uh, but yeah, I would, um, I want to be able to click a box because it's, it's, you know, easier conversation, I guess. But uh, yeah, I would either put none or, you know, or spiritual if there, I think that's more common now is to say something like that. It's like, you're, you're, you're spiritual. It's like, because that that's easier to, to explain to people. And that doesn't come with a, as many questions as, you know, as a, as another, or, or uh, drilling questions like, oh, you're a Catholic? Oh, well. And then I could, I could just imagine the conversation of, do you know, you know, these things, or do you know how a mass uh, you know, um, the order of, of mass goes and um, things that you should be in the know about. It's like, so I'll just stick to none <laughs> or spiritual, just kind of avoid the the qualifying questions that to verify whether or not you, you do fit in that box. 
Yeah, I I like that, Maria. And I, I also I I think about I think about a, a an early interaction um, between you and me um, when uh, after we had asked you to um, to be a part of the financial board uh, on on Brownline, and you've you've been a faithful member for a number of years now. And I remember uh, we were discussing something that had to do with like just like the the heritage of churches in America being exclusive and. Um, I think one of the, one of the one of the joys about your response is that you were just like, wait, hold on, this is a thing, and <laughs> like, like I saw you like like show you're you're not like you're not like super overt, but I remember your your face was like, wait, what, what, like this exclu- exclusion is a thing, like like w- there there are churches that that don't that believe that like women shouldn't preach and that gay people are not welcome and all and all of these things. I just remember exclusion being like shocking to you because there was there what you had experienced at this point by finding a community that you did feel at home in in, in brownland was like gee this is this is obvious like what if we're talking about like god and we're talking about like first off i'm not going to follow god unless that's like an obviously a good thing you know and like isn't i don't know like isn't despair the enemy like isn't isn't like uh like violence and poverty and racism, the enemy, like other religions, you know, like people who have different lifestyles than you, secularism, like those aren't the enemy, what? And, uh, and I just remember like seeing that like visible shocked look on your face and thinking like, yes, this is why Maria's perspective matters so much because even, you know, like even those of us who kind of like have, uh, for, for those in our community, like who do, who actually feel viscerally like against the idea that Jesus could be about exclusion. And, you know, and maybe you know that from like a lot of church going history in your life. I think like that is still an example of you, you, you coming to very good conclusions out of religious privilege. And there's something really important that, you know, like that people who are outsiders to this really bring, which is that visible shocked look. Because if you have the privilege and you've come to that conclusion, you actually like, you're not shocked. You're like, yep, it's working like it's supposed to. That's what happens in churches. But we need to maintain this experience that we always need to maintain this experience of being like, this is not okay. This is not what Jesus is actually about. And I think Maria, you carry that just by with the way you operate because you don't come with all of that religious background. Yeah, I think we've, in the series that we've talked about, it. Uh, so far, you know, every conversation has had you know, um, that thought come up of, well, Jesus himself was marginalized, uh, and it doesn't make sense for for him to exclude others if he's living through that too. He he's advocate for the marginalized, uh, and I think that's how that's how I grew up. When my parents were echoing that, is that we you know, we we should be loving and supportive of others, and that's. It was just uh, so I probably gave that Chrissy Teigen face of like uh, what is this that shocked face like what's going on what um, but yeah because I I didn't know and that's that's um, I think what helps me in my relationship with, with God is that I don't know some of those those boundaries I don't know some of those rules uh, so it, in this way it helped in a good way of of that uh, I didn't have to feel you know. Um, like I was going against the rules because we were kind of making up our own rules or just knowing that God was loving or Jesus was about love and, um, and support for others that, yeah, when I do hear about that, 
um, it's, it is still shocking that that's, uh, that exclusion plays any part in a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Well, and when well we talk about privilege, who, who are the people that Jesus most directly called out for the ways that they were inhibiting people from living life well? It was the religious privilege. It was calling them out as putting burdens on people that they themselves couldn't carry, talking about um, creating barriers for people, uh, focusing on the wrong things, pay, you know, like this, all of the accusations that were most direct from Jesus, his deepest and most kind of direct rebukes were for those with religious privilege. And, you know, that's like a thing about when we, you know, I don't think it's shocking when people are like, what would Jesus rebuke if he came back again today? I was like, I think it would be the exact same thing. I don't think it would be that different. I think he would be rebuking those who use power and privilege and most acutely those who are doing it in his name. Religious, yes. Yeah, the religious are using to do that and he would be rebuking them because they are actually inhibiting uh, what he's trying to do in the world and not supporting it, even though they're technically uh, doing it themselves in his name, which I think is is an important piece for us to think about of, of what Jesus himself was telling us to pay attention to. And I th- religious privilege was at the heart of much of it. All right. Well, we have one more point we want to hear. And uh, so Maria, tell us about uh, when faith has never had to be about conforming. You see, God speaks using the unique furniture of your mind. Tell us more, Maria. Yes. Um, it's a combination of the, the not conforming because I didn't know what to conform to, but then striving to click a box. Uh, so it's a little bit of a, a conflict there. But what I did know about people's experience, other people's experiences of um, you know, how they came into religion or were stories from people over time or from TV and movies. And it's usually something like, you know, they hear an audible voice or a booming voice. They have this spectacular detailed vision and, you know, they're, they have, the, you know, this, this grand um, uh, experience that leads them towards, uh, towards God or, or towards spirituality. And in hearing those, I, I could just remember thinking, oh, I was like, why not me? And why didn't these things happen to me? And uh, so I started thinking about, um, this is relatively recently where I started thinking about, well, where did my faith come from? How did I get to to Brownline? And I started going back and and realized that it was, I found it through grief. So uh, I've talked about a little bit about my grandma. Um, You know, I know she loved her some God. And uh, I knew about the angels, about Gabriel, about Michael. Um, So what I little, you know, the, what I do know, it's like, it's, it's from her. I could, I could feel that. Um, and when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, um, it was really hard for our family. And a few years later when she passed on, it was, you know, devastating for us, um, that I found myself in back in my dorm room after the service and just like an old school mercury thermometer, just filling with this anger and hate for God, because I was like, I prayed, you're supposed to heal her. She was your number one fan. Uh, why, why did this happen? And it was just all of that um, energy filling and uh, also feeling guilt. Like, oh, did I pray wrong? Am I doing this wrong? Am I not doing enough? Am I not, you know, because I didn't go to church to pray for her. Um, you know, is, is that something that affected it? 
And I just remember feeling, feeling like it was filling me up. And before I get caught in actual drowning of it, um, I felt a really warm feeling on my back and a thought that popped into my head that, that grandma was okay. She wasn't sick and that Jesus was with her the whole time. And it was such a, a relief that I, uh, I mean, in a physical way, felt like a lot of that anger was, was pushed away and replaced. And a thought of my grandma, like handing me her Bible almost of like handing me her faith. And since then it was like, oh, this is real. This is, and this is how God speaks to me is through, you know, thoughts in my head. Um, you know, I didn't have a vision of her. I didn't have, you know, I didn't hear her or, or God talk to me in that moment. And it's because God knows me better than I know myself. And as much as I say, I want to hear the booming voice or the, like the, the vision, God knows that I would freak out if either of those things happen. It's like, that's not, that's not how I operate. I'm an internal person, predominantly introvert. I'm always living in my head. I'm questioning my own thoughts all the time. Uh, so it kind of makes sense that he would use the furniture of my mind was used what's what makes sense to me how he can he can get to me is through thoughts in my head and uh working through others um so that's what i feel like my origin story of faith comes from is actually oddly enough through grief um and uh through passing that through, through my grandma so again it, it was a, a long period of time after that where i wasn't really looking for a church not really trying to because i felt like no this is okay where this is right now and i just have to find a home that accepts that, that where I am in, in that journey. So, and that's where, you know, Sergio found you guys and, or he invited me to, to come be with you guys. So that's, that's, that's my story. Thank you so much, Maria, for, for sharing that. It's, I think it's just a, a powerful picture of, of God meeting you. Um, and I think for me, it was always like a sense of, I get to see God more when I hear about how other people uh, encountered him. Um, and I think what you talked about is is at the heart of um, kind of why we felt this church needed to exist in a world where there's a million other churches. Um, and you can think about how church culture is even just reinforced by the fact that even a slight shift in perspective often means that we're going and creating our own kind of new community where we can all just, you know, be even more on the same page. And um, so why, why did we need to exist? And I think it's because I, I think Vince and I both knew tons and tons of people that were absolutely looking for experiences of Jesus. And because of culture, we're just not finding them in the churches that they were going to. And it was because those churches weren't trying to speak to them. They were trying to speak to those who already had the religious privilege and would benevolently offer to enculturate you into the status quo of this church. So if you would like to, I can convert you into this experience and then you too can experience this religious privilege. Um, and that just for myself, I didn't enjoy that. And for so many people we knew, I was like that there was a sense of a, a desire for, for community, a desire for spiritual growth, a desire for connection with God. Um, and there were just too many barriers that weren't actually about any of those things because we live in a world where the cultural trajectory of church 
and the trajectory of our wider culture have been going in opposite directions, particularly in places like Chicago. You know, there's some places where those align more closely, but just if you are an, a person who grew up going to church, the enculturation process in an evangelical American church versus the enculturation process of a American not going to church is just, it's gotten wider and wider and wider by the day. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I don't think it's evil. I don't think the world has gone to hell. I think that there's actually a lot of ways that I think our wider culture has gone a better direction and our church culture has gone a worse direction. But the truth is they're just really far apart. And if we don't acknowledge that, we're just going to keep on rewarding those that go into church and get those jokes and go into church and are asking the same questions that everyone else in their experience are asking rather than inviting people to encounter God in the way that their own mind and life is trying to encounter God. I just really appreciate you sharing that, Maria. Yeah, Maria, I, you know, I, I've, I've shared pretty openly here in church as well that my own story began with grief. And, um, and so, you know, like just to me, I, I think that our, our, our stories both are propped up by the fact that we didn't have some sort of you know, some sort of like religious cultural experience telling us that in order to find God when that terrible thing happened, it has to look like X, Y, or Z. I mean, the, you know, like, I guess we, we all have journeys, like, you, like you're saying, like, we get it from like television, you know, <laughs> about like what it looks like to hear from God. But when you don't have all of that background of like the, the family and the culture you grew up in, like hoisting all of this theology on you or hoisting all of this, like, you know, you have to understand that horrible thing that happened to you this way. I mean, there, there is a lot of pressure and I, I just can't help but once again think like your background, and, and I would throw myself into this too, had us better suited to find God in the midst of a tragic experience than somebody who would have grown up going to church in America. And that deeply saddens me. Like shouldn't, shouldn't growing up in church lead you to more readily find Jesus in the midst of, of, of a terrible circumstance. It shouldn't make it harder. Uh, and, and, and so I just think your perspective once again, gives me eyes to see what, what, what really matters. Like what, what is it, what is it important for us to actually be bringing people into to find God in the midst of grief? That's what we should help people find. You know, like that's a worthy thing for our discussion and everything else is just secondary. Right. And so again, I just, you sharing so vulnerably about that experience and just like how it felt and it was heat on your back. And it's just like, yes, this is the stuff of God. This is, this is why we get together. Well, uh, let me bring it because we are, we're, we're going over on time. Who would have thunk it? Vince's favorite topic and we go over on time. Uh, but I, I do want to bring in Allison uh, a little bit here and just see, is there anything happening in the chat that would be worth kind of throwing in and, and posing to Maria or, or just kind of letting us stir the pot a little bit, Allison? Yeah, sure. Um, well, Maria, I want to let you know that a lot of people were commenting in the chat about how powerful that story was and how much they like just appreciated you sharing it. Um, and so thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, and a few people also commented how they really resonate with that term, um, saying labeling themselves as spiritual um, and feeling like that's the most accurate and uh, the description that they're the most comfortable with. Um, so just scrolling through here, it really just looks like a lot of what you said people resonated with and they were like, yep, that makes sense and that makes sense and I identify with that. Um, so 
yeah, it was really just spot on for our group today, I think. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. And it's nice to hear that too, because, you know, a lot of this, you know, I felt like I was alone in it too. When you're out, when you're not, you don't, you don't have that background. And, um, uh, a lot of this feels, you know, isolating or lonely that you're not part of that community or that your experience isn't valid in some way. Um, so no, I appreciate that. Thanks everyone. Well, this has been awesome. Um, I want to pray for us and let us kind of marinate in that way a little bit. Maybe we can feel some of the same kind of things we're, we're hearing about as we describe spiritual experience of just that peace, that, that heat on our back. And it, 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 can, it can look different for each of us because it's the furniture of our own minds. So let me pray a little bit and, uh, and take us into that space. Pray with me. Well, God, we're so grateful um, for Brownline and for the stories that have made up this church. I feel so grateful right now. I feel so grateful for Maria's story and the way that she has experienced you and the way that we have gotten to benefit from that as she has connected with us and, and, and been a stakeholder here in our community. And for all of the stories that her story represents as we, as in this series, we are trying to represent perspectives that are not often heard. And this one particularly is not often heard in church settings. It is made second class. It's made, you know, to be something that, well, oh, that's great. But, you know, once you convert and become serious, then you can really speak to us. And this is just, the, it just feels like in so many ways, I see Jesus in what Maria is talking about more so than in any church conversation. And I just thank you for that. And I thank you for all the people who have come through our church that have shown us that the people who have, who have been with us for a while and they've moved away and, and we pray that in some way they would like feel, as we're praying right now, that they would feel like kind of undergirded in their own spirituality, like if they're not here on the call right now because they were with us years ago, that they would feel blessed this morning. Uh, but we pray all of, this, all of us here in this community that are trying to make this a safe space, that are trying to make this a place that tears down the systemic ways that church outsiders are marginalized in churches. We pray that you teach us what's the next step in that. And as we have, have so, so powerfully, especially this summer, just kind of connected that to equity work and all of the other things that we're talking about right now, being a part of what you're doing in the world, God, you are for equity and we want you to be for equity in this way, in this church. Help us to do that well. Help us to honor every story that we encounter. Help us to honor all of those people who are more comfortable to, to classify themselves as spiritual than as, as Christian. Who cares? Jesus, you welcome them all. You are so inclusive and we receive that. And I pray that you would help us, help us even, even today feel, feel charged as a community with that at its core, that mission at its core. Help us to feel excited and proud to be here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.